However, the next logical question is, what of all the rhetoric, what of all the comments that we hear? Right. So, here are a few things to note before I talk to you about my research on the number of comments and the number of instances of communally charged speech that has come from or attributed to BJP members in the Modi regime. Things to note, number one, if you think all right-wing ideas are immoral or beneath you, this is the point you should stop listening to this. I have enough instances of people who were clearly anti-Muslim in their rhetoric and enough people and instances that were absolutely misconstrued. However, if you feel that all right-wing ideas are bad and terrible, then I have news for you. You do not understand the nuance of politics and have probably been shy of exploring the conservative set of ideas for the sake of your confirmation bias. I am not going to discuss the validity of each idea as it appears, only the factual veracity of it. The basis of these ideas, if it falls within the general playing field of right-wing conservative ideas in sync with the rest of the world, or with RSS and BJP's mission statements, I give them a pass. On the other hand, I am factoring in, in the construction of my opinion, the implicit responsibility of the right-wing government. This responsibility is owed to the nature of the beast itself, because the existence of a right-wing government, or at least this one, brings a sense of communal paranoia in people. It must go an extra distance at maintaining the peace in the now-sensitive religious fault lines. A lack of rebuking, discouragement of any rhetoric, even if it is not apparently violent or violence-encouraging, but serves to encourage any kind of a Hindu-Muslim divide, has been counted as an instance of implicit guilt in my view. To conduct this research, I used a dataset provided by the TheWire.in of 12 instances of overt hate speech by major BJP leaders. Four were outright dismissible because they had either pro-Hindu remarks, which are not necessarily anti-Muslim remarks, or had remarks against Kashmiris, which does not necessitate remarks against Muslims, or, well, Mayavati. Out of the remaining eight, one, Vikram Saini's comments at a Muzaffarnagar rally in 2018 that was labelled by the media as provocative because he said, our country is called Hindustan, meaning it is a nation of Hindus, is very in sync with the RSS's definition of Hindus that explicitly includes all other religions, defining Hindu as a national identity more than a religious identity. The context also is very morally stable, where he speaks of inclusive growth and being against race-religion-based discrimination. This is dismissible on the grounds of media's purposeful or unpurposeful misinterpretation. Of the remaining seven, Mahesh Sharma's comment on APJ Abdul Kalam being nationalistic despite being a Muslim from 2015, Anand Kumar Hegde's gross conflation of Islam and terrorism in his comments from 2016, and Shobha Karanjale casually using the term jihadi to refer even possibly to the Muslim population in Karnataka are all seen as inappropriate and guilty of either alienation or encouraging conflict against Muslims. Anupriya Patel mentioned how there were Hindu traitors the existence of whom had resulted in 100 crore, which is essentially a billion, Hindus being scared of 20 crore Muslims, which is essentially 200 million, is a case found guilty. To demarcate the divide so emphatically and to pit them against each other in this fashion is unacceptably alienating and tension inciting, especially when the supposed definition of Hindu by her parent political body is inclusive. Of the remaining three, Giriraj Singh's remark on India's population explosion being because of Islamic freedom of polygamy is wrong on multiple levels. One, it isolates a community, at that a minority, and blames them for the friction in the growth of an entire nation. And two, because it is factually incorrect. Muslim population in India grew by roughly 25% between 2001 and 2011. Hindu population grew by 17%. 
The metric might indicate that the Muslim population grew by 1.5 times the Hindu population, but absolute numbers reflect differently. Muslim population grew by 33.7 million or 3.37 crore between 2001 and 2011, but Hindu population grew by 138.7 million or 13.87 crore over the same time, a four-fold increase over the Muslim population. This remark clearly instigates the sensitive religious fault lines and can be seen as an, impl- as, as an implicit encouragement of Muslim-directed direct hate, Muslim hatred. The Yogi Adityanath case from 2017 is highly confusing and scary. After thorough investigation, CBI wanted to prosecute him for his anti-Muslim riot-causing enmity-promoting speech. The state government in 2017, then and now headed by him, uh, overturned the demand for his prosecution. This is wholly suspicious, moving only along the lines of making obvious assumptions. Allahabad High Court aligned itself with the state government, and as much as I trust the independence independence of the judiciary in India, it would seem highly probable that they they were limited in their reach due to factors beyond their control that is evidence tampering and so on. Verdict, this is likely a case of outrage, outrageous hate inciting speech. Senior BJP lawmaker Vinay Katyar is guilty too. His remarks that any and all Muslims in India must go to Pakistan or Bangladesh is entirely alienating and hate encouraging. Often otherwise 113 instances listed by NDTV as cases of hate speech by BJP ranging from Modi, Shah to Fadnavis and Subramaniam Swami Some are cases of petty remarks common to recent politics in India that are not indicative of religious alienation. Some are absolutely misconstrued by ignoring the context and the pretext, and some are valid cases of hate speech inciting unrest, disseminating misinformation, or inducing violence against Muslims. There's a few other noteworthy mentions when it comes to the remarks and comments made by BJP leaders. Menka Gandhi's infamous remark to the effect of democracy being a give-and-take relationship when pointing towards Muslim voters is bad philosophy of governance and and an absolute assault on the ideal principles of democracy. She started off by building the case for why Muslim voters, contrary to her party's anti-Muslim perception, must vote for her by mentioning what she has done for them. She then goes on to create a transactionality and by means of it communicates a displeasure and or predictive disinterest in working for Muslims who don't vote for her. Focusing on these remarks and even making the grossly unfounded assumption that she does not possess any discriminatory or Hindu-favoring sentiment, this comment cannot be taken to have anything less than a coercive and alienating effect. Verdict definitely rumbles the religious fault lines. Sakshi Maharaj Various media outlets reported Sakshi Maharaj, a sitting MP from Unnao and a former ascetic, threatening to curse people who did not vote for him. This became the cause of turmoil with respect to the intellectual elite for two reasons. One, they construe it as a threat. Two, it is apparently dubious in logic and primarily stems from religious rhetoric. To respond to one, the news media outlets were very friendly in using the term term threatens or will, which in the clickbait culture is enough to shape perception. Listening to the video and reading the transcript of that comment, Sakshi Maharaj issues at the very best a veiled threat to curse people. He speaks in passive voice, trying to create a voter motivation based on his identity to people already present at his rally and not the public at large. He says, I am an ascetic, I am a sannyasi. And within the scriptures, it is said that if you do not give alms to a pleading sannyasi, he takes with him the good karma of the household and leaves behind the bad karma. It does not seem obvious how he actively threatens voters, but passes a religious remark of the nature of might happen, an effect possible to the same degree as reincarnation, 72 virgins, or the heaven promised by Christ, bearing no logical consequence. 
the use of religious or scriptural logic at best could be construed as stupid but in no way seemed to suggest an active threatening clearly this sounds more like media manipulation sakshi maharaj's second remark that came into question was his remark about the 2024 election never being wouldn't that that the 2024 election would never take place because there'd be no need or something to that effect so let's analyze that sakshi maharaj was reported in many clickbait titles as saying that there would be no more elections in 2024 after this one this was seen seen as an open threat to the process of democracy a sitting mp active campaigner and a person worth a microphone predicting that there shall be no elections in 2024 to take that comment seriously especially in the light of the global political narrative is most likely a case of attributing meaning due to paranoid fear psychosis of course of course india cannot just amend its constitution and go back on democracy i mean i don't even think that would take amending the constitution but in fact just scrapping it or taking control of india by militant means again stupid but not hate inciting he was also misquoted as saying that the hindus have awakened whereas what he is saying is that the country has awakened hindus have awakened and people have awakened again a term hindu used in the context of the country on the pretext of the rss bjp construction of the term the selective hand picking of comments by the media distorts the picture more than necessary on reading the transcript it is apparent that sakshi maharaj's statements are limited to hollow stupidity at worst and have little or nothing to do with religious hatred or specific religious incitement also for the latter he apologized when he was reprimanded verdict doesn't seem to incite hate but makes very hollow and dismissible remarks based out of religious logic a phenomena common to politics of india pragya thakur as for her comment on godse being a nationalistic hero to be revered without going into details of godse's intent for murder and so on i am happy to move with the pro gandhi view and call godse nothing short of a traitor pragya thakur's comment were later isolated by the party saying that it is not the view of the party as a whole and two by modi when he says that he cannot forgive pragya thakur of the same along this we must contend with the hindu mahasabha's reenactment of gandhi's mahatma gandhi's assassination and the celebration of his assassin godse on gandhi's death anniversary It is pertinent to note that the BJP and RSS have overtly distanced themselves from the Hindu Mahasabha for this now and before. Hemant Karkare and the Maligaon blast case and Pragya Thakur's comment on that. The courts are in the process of figuring out whether Pragya Thakur was involved with the Maligaon blasts. The court's decisions have been very contradictory and have too much movement to address here. It is best to leave something as complicated as this to the behest of the courts. However, the NIA court does find a prima facie reason for conviction and thus has charged her under various laws for unlawful activities uh, under the unlawful activities prevention act. Now, assuming that she suffered mental and physical torture in the prison due to what she, what could possibly be a false accusation, she was definitely in the wrong to derogate a martyr. Thirdly, BJP giving her a ticket to contest elections given the seriousness of this charge is not the ideal move for redemption of her character because it comes at the cost of enough moral quandaries as far as a democracy as far as democracy is concerned and two because it gives an alienating message to the people. There were better ways to redeem her. Discourse would be sufficient. Allowing her an electoral role is blindsiding the court's proceedings at least on a moral, social and philosophical level if not on a legal level. The BJP distances itself from these remarks too but again it seems more damage control in view of the fact that they continue to support her electoral claim. Amit Shah Amit Shah and the NRC became um a controversy on Twitter. Amit Shah in a speech given in Assam promised that all refugees who are seeking asylum on grounds of religious persecution in their home country 
from their home country be that Pakistan Bangladesh Nepal or Tibet who are essentially Hindus Buddhists or Sikhs will be given citizenship now that note that Bangladesh and Pakistan are Muslim majority nations and the religious minorities seeking refuge are Hindus Sikhs Jains Buddhists and so on quite by definition he promises citizenship to religiously persecuted minorities that are seeking or are refugee status in India every other infiltrator who comes for any other reason but religious persecution from these areas will be removed this is in sync with the, with with their national security agenda deporting illegal immigrants on the grounds of national security is a classic right wing policy and any contest to its validity on the scale of morality is a very nuanced discussion now before i lay the exaggeration at the behest of the media it is safe to say that bjp's twitter handle committed a faux pas in communicating this message the faux pas may be read as an intentional is as as intentionally alienating the muslims too however the speech seen in context is not anti muslim i have attached no links of the videos however they're easily found on google with basic diligence in trying to analyze uh, the practice component of the entire question we've gone through two counts the first count has been um the statistics the second count has been the comments and the third count in order is the policy which is essentially the task of a bloody government right so policy on policy on the count of policy there's three different policies that i'd like to discuss that have been alleged to be anti muslim the first one has been the ban on triple talaq now the triple talaq ban speaks for the right of muslim muslim women in my view this is decently complicated by itself i mean just to give just to lay the definition out talaq e bidat the utterance of the word talaq thrice even on a textual platform like whatsapp allowed for a muslim man to divorce his wife instantly the supreme court had ruled the method as invalid grounds for divorce in 2017 however in 2018 the government tried to introduce a ban and a punishment by means of a law on the same from being merely invalid it is now moving towards achieving criminal status a law tabled to further the notion through non bailable arrests and so on by means of legal tools of discouragement apparently it could be read as a sign of progressivism or minority targeting depending on how you see it however the latter makes little sense to me the criticism of the opposition is entirely discounting that triple talaq is banned in many islamic countries too including pakistan probably a finding that a finding that invalidation does not discourage the population enough to have the effect in insulated areas it is very easy to, easy to validate what is invalid through cultural norms however the prospective punishment empowers the muslim women to approach the court and the police extending their powers beyond the limitation of insulated cultural dictates this law in light of the contemporary movement in other islamic countries to adapt to the modern narrative of progressivism and equality is to be seen as pro islam any min- misconstruction on the opposition activists or media's part is dangerous and can qualify for the same implicit guilt of further further sensitizing religious fault lines during a right wing regime as for analogical charges of abandoning wives by husbands of all religions being an omnipresent phenomena regardless that is a separate and quite distinct notion from instantiating an unequivocal and instant talaq at the pleasure of the husband the second policy has been the removal of the hud subsidy now the removal of the hud subsidy can apparently be construed as an anti muslim move however a few facts are in order number 
This came a day after the ban on women being able to do the Hajj without a mehram, a male guardian they cannot marry, was lifted by BJP. Apart from that, Muslim women who were entirely dependent on males first and then the lottery system of permission second were given special exemption from the lottery system too. In the light of the same analyses from point one about triple talaq, this fact is in fact progressive. Fact number two. Fact number two is that the likes of Asaduddin Owaisi, the prominent leader of the Muslim faction, represent, Muslim faction representing party AIMIM, said that he has been in favor of removing the HUD subsidy for a while. A Muslim judge, Justice Aftab Alam, in a two-member Supreme Court bench, passed an interim order asking the government to phase out the subsidy in 2012, which was left unattended until 2014 by the UPA and was followed after by the NDA in the post-2014 Modi era. The grounds of the order were not on the principle of state subsidy, but because it was against religious tenets. Justice Aftab Alam quoted the Quran to say that it enjoined upon Muslims to use their own money for Hajj after taking care of dependents and paying, one's, paying off one's own debts. Reductively, the Holy Quran says that the Hajj is to be taken on with one's own, one's own funds. All India Muslim law All India Muslim Personal Law Board's Kamal Faruqi welcomed the move, saying that a wrong impression was being created that Muslims were gaining from the government aid at all. He resonates the view held by the government and their math that such subsidy, in fact, went to the air, airline carrier Air India and not to the individuals going to the Hajj at all. Fourth, the money is to be used according to the Supreme Court order and then the tabling of the, of the, remo- of the law r- removing the HUD subsidy. The money is to be used on other minority projects in sync with the Supreme Court order and the government claims that it is to be used now for the promotion of minority education, especially the girl child, which is a phenomena that, ha- that haunts the Indian population. Fifth, the government has set up a committee not just to depose the HUD subsidy, but to come up with a new HUD policy between 2018 and 2022. The link for the summary of recommendations of this reformation is attached. In very short, there are two quick conclusions I have. One, it seems to suggest that the BJP's inclusive growth idea is being held, at least in principle. And two, that the charge against the secular politics of the opposition being of the nature of appeasement is more substantive than what might seem. Policy number three, quote-unquote beef ban. Now, there is a certain few things to dissect with respect to the claim that beef ban is a tool to alienate Muslims. Firstly, even its most inaccurate construction, even in its most inaccurate construction, it is at best a Hindu-favoring enactment, which does not necessitate an anti-Muslim intent, much like a holiday for Easter would not mean the Buddhists are violated. To construe it in a reductive zero-sum game sense is you applying the filter of Hindu versus Muslim than the enactment or the party doing it. Secondly, it is not a beef ban and not a case of dietary profiling like the media has conflated it to be. The ban on beef, if at all in any places, is consequential. But the ban in law is on cow slaughter, not consuming beef. Again, as a consequence, in some places, beef consumption has become prohibited. But it is not, quote-unquote, a beef ban in its true literal sense. Thirdly, it is not a case of cultural imperialism, as my very English-savvy friends might want to call it. It is provided directly for in the Directive Principle of State Policy Article, Article 48 in the Constitution of India. It says, The state shall organize culture and animal husbandry on modern 
and scientific lines and shawl in particular take steps for preserving and improving the breeds and prohibiting the slaughter of cows and calves and other milch and draught cattle. The causes, as noted in the commentary of the Constituent Assembly, are supposed to be scientific, modern, or economical. The religious reasons were left out from this framing, but the directive policy suggestion was put in place regardless. The directive policy not only leaves the door open for the states to do that, but also encourage them to, to have some sort of a ban on cow slaughter. For references, you can check the debate and commentary from the Constituent Assembly on this issue dated November 24, 1948 onwards. If you make the case that this law is being implemented for religious reasons regardless, you must be informed that the Supreme Court, over several decisions, has ruled in favour of the ban on cow slaughter being constitutional. The final verdict came from a seven-member constitutional bench in the Mirzapur Moti Qureshi Kasab judgment. This is a very complex question in itself and therefore I align myself with India's premier intellectual body, the Supreme Court, and at that, the constitutional bench of the Supreme Court in that. Fourthly, these laws are a matter of state list. That is, states make law on this. Car slaughter bans have existed in states as early as the 1950s. And even then, a lot of states with other party governments have enacted, upheld, not revoked, or not even motioned to revoke this law. This goes on to say that this isn't entirely a BJP or Modi phenomena, even though they do push for it more heavily. Now, 20 out of 29 states in India regulate, in some form or degree, cow slaughter. These forms and degrees vary to the effect where in some states consumption isn't a problem, in some import isn't a problem, in some possession isn't a problem, in some a particular age and variety of cow can be slaughtered, and in some slaughter for specific purposes and at specific times is alright. The states have passed these laws in view of the demographics and the interest of the demographics. Almost all of these laws in their form and substance have been appealed to the courts and upheld, except in 2017 in Tamil Nadu where the Madras High Court has stayed the cow slaughter ban enactment, which, if you were to ask me, speaks for the independence of judiciary in these matters and a case-by-case proper analysis of the same. Finally, the vigilantes or the rakshaks that have emerged from from these enactments in the time of BJP, that is undoubtedly a problem, a problem that must be construed in light of the fact that BJP is the world's largest political party with 60 million members, 6 crore members, I did not hold back criticism for any variety of brass in the BJP when they made wavered comments. But the fringes of such large political body will have, will have defected behaviour. Having said that, it is important to note that on several occasions, PM Modi, Amit Shah and Rajnath Singh have come out heavily against vigilantism of any nature. Referring to it as Hindu or cow vigilantism takes the focus away from the true violation of law, vigilantism. If anything, I see it as a purposeful effort to not... To, to, to not to avoid to, or to not attribute religious connotations, but to stay from the pettiness of religious attributions, which only brings more pettiness and more allegations and possibly even more media distortion. However, can more be done for discouragement? Sure. I truly and abjectly condemn this variety of vigilantism as much as any other form of vigilantism. Do I find that the government could do could be harder on vigilantes, that there are better or more efficient ways to communicate that they don't support it? Sure, absolutely, 100%. On the other hand, do I find the media of conflo- conflating the ban on cow slaughter, a constitutional right given to states by the forefathers with a restriction on Muslim culture or a beef ban or a saffron move entirely? Yes. To come to now conclude our entire discussion.
the first is the ideological conclusion the theoretical conclusion on an isolated analysis of rss and bjp's ideas of let's just say an inclusive definition of hinduism i find them absolutely not guilty of promoting any anti muslim rhetoric in fact hinduism or hindu was a term coined in the 19th century by english colonizers and did not exist before that as such this is the prominent view of academic and scholars both indian and foreigners on hinduism as a culture and religion google it there is enough academic literature on that so much so this identity of hinduism being a national cultural identity is philosophically uncontested for the most part i have found not one valid piece of criticism of the theoretical aspect of the bjp rss philosophy anywhere not with the opposition not with the scholars and not with the media what i have found from all three are opposition to their practice so let us conclude the variety of aspects of the practice in terms of practice the statistical research on communal violence after the in-depth research that i fielded before you it is safe to say that on two out of three counts no significant statistical difference is noted the two trends communal violence instances and injuries move in either direction one pro bjp one pro inc and yet the statistical insignificance allows me to discount them entirely the common denominator in these two modalities is zero the third communal violence deaths show a 20% decline since the bjp has come to power that is a telling statistic whether that is attributable to a better rule of law a better policing system more fear of legal consequences just shorter conflicts or use of less fatal tools of violence in these instances is an attribution i don't make but the statistic i find works quite surprisingly and opposite to the media paranoia around communal lines for bjp in terms of comments on the count of mid tier brass leaders a lot of cases are found guilty of spreading falsehoods and delivering speeches that alienate the muslim minority in india on some other cases fewer, fewer yet present media yet media misconstruction can be seen as the number one reason that adds to the possible and compounding fear psychosis on communal lines added to that the opposition and the population coming to quick conclusions on the basis of media distorted messages messages worsen the problem thirdly after factoring in all possible vortices of implicit support and encouragement bjp is found guilty of giving tickets to the like of pragya thakur or not condemning the likes of menka gandhi fourthly there is no reasonable case to be made against any top brass to have instantiated a case of muslim alienation including the limited frivolous counts from the ndtv's database however in the yogi adityanath case i am inclined to inclined to call him guilty also take into consideration that the adityanath instance is pre 2014 one possible caveat purely from an academic and psychological position is that negative evidence are more capturable salient and incite more immediate response in people discrimination is inflated in journalism and perception to accrue even hints of discrimination on the contrary positive evidence remains more hard to fixate on hence appeasement is deflated to even exclude a few cases of outright appeasement as well however even factoring that there shall be a statistically significant anti muslim rhetoric from the middle brass policy as far as my discussion illuminates unless i have missed out on a policy the idea of inclusive growth an idea that purposely does not descend to use of religious terms in the mention of their subject of growth seems pretty upheld in principle 
In all three policy cases, there seems to be either progressivism and modernity in sync with the world, resonant support from Muslim leaders on issues where it appears prima facie that the law is anti-Muslim because they find the policy substantively helpful to the Muslims and or no case of anti-Muslim ideology in cases such as the ban on cow slaughter. Like I mentioned, the vigilante scenario is most definitely condemnable as abhorrent and malified, and the government could be seen as underactive or passive in handling that, at least to some degree. Final conclusions. At the cost of reputation, I maintain that there is implicit responsibility of any and all right-wing governments because they operate on socially majoritarian lines often to be more than careful in issuing anti-minority remarks. On this charge, BJP needs to get its act together. In the same breath, it is more than necessary to mention that the opposition needs to not utilize fault lines between communities and instigate tensions for vote bank politics. In cases such as the advocacy for the revocation of the triple talaq ban, Congress and Rahul Gandhi need to get their act together. Neither party is allowed to forget that the true pursuit is the betterment of the country and that shall happen and be allowed to take place with or without them, as Atul Bihari Vajpayee once said. Communications on the lines of communalism has increased. That could be attributed to both the BJP, the media, the media discourse since the party came into power and so on. To attribute causality is to be presumptuous. The best I can say is some of it comes from the remarks of fringe party leaders, some from the media sensationalism. Think about it. One stray comment from, the politi- from, from a political entity or one stray crime from the population can definitely be amplified enough and go through news cycles and panel discussions enough where it could create a paranoia. An entire nation's mood could be created based on what flies in the media. With now more access than ever, a lot of the tension really, really could be a fiction in your head. The media definitely has a role to play via means of sensationalism and partisanship. And partisanship on both sides, by the way. The partisan, it, it creates a fierce psychosis of minority hatred in India. Partisan media in either direction only fuels hate. They seem to be fast-failing their need as the fourth pillar of democracy and succumbing to the variety of pressures of a capitalist economy. With that, I conclude my analysis on this headache of a subject. I've had incredible fun doing this. It's been very engaging and very, very um, time-consuming. Please let me know what you think. Like I said, I'm available on more platforms than you can imagine, and I am always open to comments. Thank you so much.